So when you look at the single sign on Paradigm, it's very powerful and it works very well. And I expect it to be around for a long time. Uh, you know, SAML is almost 20 years old and it still works great. People still use it. OpenID Connect is extremely powerful and especially in the area of cloud platforms, it's very, very heavily used. The issues that I think have arisen and have been around for a long time fall into the categories of authentication, strong authentication. And then the other piece that is an outstanding issue that's being addressed right now in some standards work is the issue of control of your own identity. Mobile workforces, cloud applications, and digitalization are changing every aspect of the modern enterprise. And with radical transformation come new business risks. Welcome to Hybrid Identity Protection, the premier podcast for cybersecurity pros charged with defending hybrid identity environments. Presented by Semperis, the pioneers of identity-driven cyber resilience for the hybrid enterprise. And now, here's your host, 15-time Microsoft MVP and active directory security expert, Sean Duby. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the HIP Podcast. Identity standards are the locks that secure our applications and therefore our data, making sure we are who we say we are before we get into the app. Perhaps more accurately, identity standards are the types of locks. A padlock is a Kerberos ticket. A deadbolt is an OpenID Connect token that developers count on to be sure their applications are safe. In the last decade, Identity has moved from being just one facet of the overall security story to the center of the story. So these standards are critical to information security. My special guest today, Pamela Dingle, and I have been to many identity-focused conferences, notably Cloud Identity Summit, now Identiverse. She actually convinced me to cover the inaugural Cloud Identity Summit in Keystone, Colorado in 2010, in my role at the time as technical director and journalist for Windows IT Pro Magazine. There were maybe 100 people there, and I didn't know a soul except for her. Now thousands of professionals attend Identiverse and Sempris's own hybrid identity protection conference, focusing identity. Today, Pam is director of identity standards at Microsoft. Her typically understated bio includes phrases like identity geek, integrator, architect, strategic opinioneer, extrovert, jack of all trades. 15 plus years of experience spent putting identity-related infrastructure into large organizations, seven years in the CTO office of a software vendor, Ping Identity, meeting customers, working on strategy and vision, participating in standards efforts. What this bio doesn't include, and should, is the phrase human router. Pam excels at collecting people, making them feel welcome and interesting, and then connecting them to other people in groups to the benefit of both. I'm proud to call her a dear friend. Welcome, Pam. Hello. That is the best introduction I've ever had. Thank you so much. Uh, it's probably the longest one, certainly. <laughs> so tell me, what are, what are the responsibilities of your role as Director of Identity Standards at Microsoft? Uh, I have the best job in the entire world. So my job involves running a team, and our team works in multiple standards bodies in the industry. And when I say standards bodies, what I mean are uh, organizations such as ISO, the International Standards Organization, or the OpenID Foundation, or W3C, which is uh, for web types of standards. Our team basically goes into these standards bodies and into standards efforts uh, and working groups within these standards bodies. And we represent Microsoft 
Uh, we collaborate with uh, other large companies, but also individual contributors and uh, startups. All of us work together to try to create specifications that allow interoperability in the industry. And what I mean by that is when you think about software development in general, if you are a software company and every customer who comes to you and wants something different, you have to write code just for that customer. What happens is you get bogged down. You can't scale because you have to write customer A's proprietary addition, customer B's proprietary addition, and so on and so forth. So what standards do instead uh, is that standards try to take common activities and then create very strong rules around how those activities work to the point where anyone who writes to the standard, to the specification, can be successful in talking to each other. So an example of this is single sign-on where if everybody acts in proper roles and uses the specification for SAML, then any identity provider, that is somebody playing the role of identity provider and, and issuing assertions and claims, can interoperate with anyone playing the relying party. And what that means is that from a software development perspective, when a customer comes and says that we need this proprietary thing X, you can tell them that they can write to the specification themselves and instantly gain interoperation with the cloud platform. Does that make sense? It does. It reminds me of a statement that uh, Microsoft PM Nathan Mugley made a long time ago. He said, you know, working without standards is like trying to order pizza for a million people. <laughs> That's wonderful. Yeah, the easy analogy here uh, is electricity. So when you take a light bulb and you twist it into the socket of a lamp in your house, you don't have to know what that means. You don't have to understand the elect electrical current flow or how strong the light bulb is or any of that piece. Um, and the reason why is because somebody has created an, an abstraction layer for you that says, as long as you create a threaded screw of a certain size with certain tolerances, then electricity will flow in expected ways. That is exactly what we try to do with identity standards. We try to make it as simple as creating a threaded interface uh, where expected data can flow back and forth. And so what we have over time, it, following that electricity analogy, is we have a variety of different light bulbs that have evolved over time, uh, from the Edison light bulb to, the, to what I was just plugging into my halogen fixtures uh, I think it's a GU14 or a GU10 mm -hmm. uh, with an with LED bulbs. So we do have a, a collection of identity standards of, of various ages, and they're all out there right now. And and everybody is working with them, depending on the age of their applications and all that. Where in their life cycles are these old and current standards? I mean, we have things as old as NTLM. We have up to as new as OpenID Connect. Where do you see all of these in the market right now? So there, there are some pretty specific uh, collections, I would say, of standards in the world right now. And, you know, the, the oldest collection in many ways are the domain-specific protocols. So, uh, you know, things that were never designed to be secure crossing the internet. And so that's where NTLM and Kerberos and LDAP 
all come into the picture. And for those who aren't familiar with those specifications, what all of those things allow you to do is to communicate identity within a network perimeter. So in, in the case of LDAP, you can do something called a bind, uh, which is basically, you know, um, one of one of the first centralized authentication actions, really, where you can say, uh, you know, here's my distinguished name and here's my password, and I am going to bind a, a current query or session to a specific entity within an LDAP directory. Those kinds of things uh, were f- amazing innovations for their time. But because the internet has changed what it is, um, and because you know so many companies work across domains now, those specifications which used to be enough are no longer sufficient. And so we have the rise of SAML and later of OAuth 2 and OpenID Connect, and they're designed to function outside of outside of the domain boundary. That's right. In fact, what they're designed to do is to communicate identity information or authorization information between domains. The way I think of that, uh, you know, there are two pieces in what you just said when you talked about OAuth and SAML and OpenID Connect. There are really two pieces. There is authorization and there's single sign-on. And uh, it's important to understand where the differences are in those specifications. Uh, but if we're, you know, if we're going to do the chronological evolution perspective, then uh, really we have to move next to the cross-domain single sign-on work, and that's really SAML. The parts of SAML that have survived, this specification was, I believe, something around 800 pages long uh, originally. Uh, the pieces of it that are still in use today are all around web single sign-on. So we're really talking about um, HTTPS uh, redirects. And you know the way this works, uh, I describe it as uh, a note from your parents. You try to get into the zoo, and the zookeeper looks at you and says, uh, I'm sorry, I'm going to need a note from your parents. And so he sends you back home, and your mother writes you a note, and she pins it to your t-shirt and she sends you back to the zoo, right? And the next time you arrive at the zoo, the zookeeper sees on your on your shirt a letter that says, you know, dear, dear zookeeper, little Bobby is allowed to attend the zoo. And then the zookeeper will let you in. This is sort of the idea of this, except there's a whole bunch of cryptographic verification that goes on because it turns out that nobody wants, to, you know, any forgery of your mother's signature on a note to the zookeeper. Right. And SAML has been a standard among enterprises for single sign-on for quite a while. And then we have OAuth 2 and OpenID Connect coming into the fore. Correct. And, you know, all of these things evolve for a reason. And the reason why OpenID Connect and OAuth evolved past, you know, at a time when SAML was becoming very popular really was because the SAML profiles were browsers and HTTPS. And at the time that OAuth came along, this was really the advent of cloud platforms and API-driven cloud platforms. And so all of a sudden, it was no longer the case that web applications were the only game in town. There were now API-driven mobile applications. At the same time that, that this need for mobile applications calling APIs came around, we also ended up in a, in a world where REST as a, as a philosophy was taking over from XML. Uh, 
as far as data formats. So there were a number of sort of evolutionary processes that were going on at the time when OAuth was created. Now, the, the thing to understand about OAuth versus OpenID Connect, this is where we get into authorization versus single sign-on. Uh, when I talk about SAML, I'm really talking about a secure introduction, right? The note from your parents, you're, going to, you're sent somewhere with an introduction, and once you're introduced, then you go off and do your business. And that works in cases where there's web sessions involved. But in cases where it's an API, we're in a different state because now you have a mobile app that's running. Perhaps it's looking up your tweets. And that app is running regardless of whether you're using the application or not. So it's sitting in the background and it's updating your tweets and updating your tweets and updating your tweets. And so the concept of a web session was invalid for this new concept of calling a cloud platform and calling APIs. Uh, and so, uh, you know, there were new needs and OAuth evolved to meet those needs. And the way that OAuth evolved was essentially to create uh, the concept of, in this case, an access token. And the way that OAuth works as far as an access token is that uh, when the user is present, so at the time where the user is actively working with the application, the user will prove who they are. And then what gets issued is a, instead of a secure introduction, what gets issued is essentially a valet key, right? It's a, it's a token that is expected to be used over and over again out of the presence of the user. Mm. And so that token gets issued to your mobile application and then boom, you're, you're making your API calls tens, hundreds, thousands of times until that access expires and then you have to go back to the well. You have to get your user back involved and you have to get another one of these access tokens. So none of that involves identity, none of it. One of my favorite uh, graphics is a uh, one of those meme generators is Samuel L. Jackson from from um, Pulp Fiction, and mm -hmm. he's holding the gun at, at the at the drug dealer, and he's saying, "Say OAuth is an authentication standard one more time. <laughs> Go ahead, I dare you. I double dare you." <laughs> exactly, that's exactly right. So, so where does OIDC fit in this? OpenID Connect is, in fact, the identity layer that can sit on top of OAuth. So the way I like to say it is that, you know, the identity part of OAuth is really that moment when you're in touch with the user, when the user is present and proving who they are. In that moment, you in fact may want to convey identity information to your client, to your mobile application, for example. What OpenID Connect does is adds a second token. So the access token is a token that's really meant for your mobile apps to be able to call APIs over and over again. Uh, this, the token that OpenID Connect adds to the same hop, right, because it's a layer on top of OAuth, the second token is called an ID token, and it is a secure introduction. So now what happens is when your mobile app makes the request to get access to APIs, it receives uh, an assertion that looks a lot like a SAML assertion and says, hey, this is Pamela Dingle. Pamela Dingle is scoped to use these things, and here's her first name and last name. So it adds claims. It also adds information about the authentication context. So it's possible the client might want to know that, in fact, what happened when the user proved their identity was that they went through multi-factor authentication. And so all of that information gets put into a token called an ID token. And that piece is really the, open ID, the, the guts of OpenID Connect. 
You're focused on, or you're spending a lot of your time focusing on emerging standards. And, and of course, the standards, as, as you say, with uh, OpenID Connect and OAuth 2, and you've explained the shortcomings of existing standards that are giving rise to OAuth and OpenID Connect. What are some other emerging standards that, that you're involved in that are solving problems that we still have today, such as passwords and various portable forms of identity. Yes, there's so much fun stuff going on right now. It's not even funny. So when you look at the single sign-on paradigm, it's very powerful and it works very well. And I expect it to be around for a long time. Uh, You know, SAML is almost 20 years old. Maybe it is 20 years old. It's right on the cusp. And it still works great. People still use it. OpenID Connect is extremely powerful. And especially in the area of cloud platforms, uh, it's very, very heavily used. The issues that I think have arisen and have been around for a long time uh, fall into the categories of authentication, strong authentication. And then the other piece that is an outstanding issue that's being addressed right now in some standards work is the issue of control of your own identity. So if we start with that one, really, uh, we go back to the, the zookeeper example, you know, there you are trotting off with the with a note from your mother pinned to your chest. Well, it turns out that we're not actually toddlers and we don't always want somebody else to speak on our behalf. Uh, and the question becomes, you know, what if what if I don't want my mother to have to write me a note for every single zoo I want to uh, to talk to? Well, can we change that paradigm? And the answer is yes. Uh, We can, for example, have your mother write a note that is essentially to whom it may concern and hand it to their child and then give their child the control to hand that to whom it may concern note to whoever they deem worthy. And the advantage of doing that is very, very interesting. So the first off, uh, suddenly now your mother does not know all the places that you're visiting. You get to have privacy in that sense that you can give your note to who, whoever you want for whatever your reasons. So there, you know, there's a, a nice disassociation there that you get from being able to control the, what we would call the presentation, right? The presentation of that credential to someone who will verify it and give you access to something. So that's exciting when you think about it. But it, it has upsides, but it also does have downsides. It means that you it's your responsibility now not to lose that note, right? Instead of it being pinned to your chest and all of the counterfeiting measures being out of your control, now you have to be sure that you can manage this credential and that it won't get lost and all, you know, all of these things. And so there's some uh, accountability and some responsibility that go along with this ability to control who you present credentials to. Um, but it's exciting. And the, the standards effort that I'm really talking about here is decentralized identity, uh, sometimes also referred to as self-sovereign identity. And the, you know, the real specification that enables this to happen is actually a data format called verifiable credentials. And that spec uh, is ratified. It was uh, created in the W3C. And there's a, a world of additional specifications that swirl around the concept of verifiable credentials um, that allow you to have essentially um, a root of trust that can be anchored in different ways. And, you know, 
again, with, you know, when we talk about the things that are evolving in the world, uh, one of the things that have changed is the mainstream understanding of blockchains. And so one of the ways you can own and control your own identity would be to store your cryptographic keys on a blockchain. And the reason why many people think that's interesting is because once you write a blockchain entry, it is what's considered immutable, meaning that nobody can take it away from you. Um, if you think about an identity provider, you could create your own identity provider. You could be a SAML identity provider, or you could be an uh, OpenID Connect OpenID provider, but you're running a domain. And if you lose that domain, you know, in a hundred years, someone else will likely own that domain. Whereas if you, you know, if you anchor to the blockchain of some kind, some decentralized ledger that meets your particular um, philosophical beliefs, then in theory, your keys will still be there in a hundred years. And again, upsides and downsides. Uh, but that is really one of the fundamental things that is emerging right now, this concept that I could have a public key that no one can take away that I can use to uh, prove, you know, make assertions about myself or to control the presentation of credentials that have been issued by others. I get to control who sees them, who they are given to. When will we start to see this um, in everyday life? Since decentralized identity seems to apply very much to the individual and the consumer as well as the enterprise. Uh, you know, it's a really good question. I'm, I don't know that I know the answer. Uh, there is a lot to do for this to go mainstream. I think that one of the interesting places right now where, where this could be brought to the mainstream is in Europe. Uh, there's a place called the ESSIF Labs, E-S-S-I-F, ESSIF Labs. Uh, they are working on, you know, they're, they're doing work now that, that could possibly be picked up as part of the regulatory fabric of the EU. Now that may not happen, uh, you know, but a lot of, a lot of people are investigating this technology right now. Uh, you know, I, I think it's safe to say that a lot of the EU bodies are, are contemplating it. I don't want to name any because I would feel terrible if I was, you know, if I incorrectly named them, sure. but, um, you know, certainly Microsoft is investing and interested in this area. There are multiple foundations that have sprung up around this. Uh, if you are interested in finding out more, you can look at the decentralized identity foundation, which is identity foundation. That's the, the web URL. Uh, there is trust over IP which I think is toip.org, but I could be wrong there. Uh, you know, there's, there's really multiple sort of centers of gravity in this area, and they all have a slightly different take on how this should work and why it's important. But clearly the need is recognized, is very broadly recognized, which is the reason that everybody is so interested in it. Yes. Um, I will say that, you know, it's one of the areas that has a lot of very active participation and interest is in the education world. So, you know, a diploma is an example of a credential that generally gets issued to a user, and then the user has responsibility for presenting it to those they want to present it to. For example, in the case when you're applying for a job, or if you want to apply for a visa. Um, and that, so that idea of educational skills, proving your skills, proving your certifications, um, this is this is definitely an area where I predict you would start to see mainstream 
decentralized identity interactions. Right. Well, that's very interesting. I was just realizing as you were talking about SAML to bring this full circle that you are actually the one that first described that SAML dance to me. <laughs> Lo, these many years ago. I don't think you had the uh, I don't think you had the the zoo analogy, which I really like, and I will I will abscond it and and use it as well uh, going forward. So that's right. But um, my analogies are evolving over time. Well, of course, yes. <laughs> So thank you for coming. Will you, uh, when you have new things to talk about, when you somebody had some new, you know, you've got, we haven't talked at all about WebAuthn or any of the things that may tra transform the way people authenticate on their mobile devices. Um, will you come back and we can talk about that? I would love to talk just about WebAuthn. I think it's a really important part of how the internet will evolve in the next 10 years. Well, see, now with that hook, how can we not uh, come back and talk about it? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, thank you, Pam, very much. Thanks for your time. I know you are, uh, you are a back-to-back -back meeting person, but I appreciate you taking the time to sort of sync us up uh, with identity standards, where they've come from and where they're going. Thanks for joining us on the Hybrid Identity Protection Podcast with Sean Doobie. Be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. Visit hipconf.com, that's H-I-P-C-O-N-F.com to learn about upcoming events, view expert presentations, and take part in the conversation.